0: This talk was recorded by Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church as a part of the 2021 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. Okay, so where we're going tonight. So if you want a topic, if you want the title, it's not a great title, but Gain God. So our theme for this summer is gain. And tonight we're going to cover God. And really, with theme training, if you're wondering what exactly is theme training, why do we call it theme training? We're really covering what is the gospel and what does the gospel do in you. That's the easiest way to talk about it. It's a topical look week by week at breaking down what the gospel is and the gospel working in you. So, a little bit more the first half of the summer, what the gospel is. Second half of the summer, what does the gospel do through you? And in two weeks, we're going to take a little bit of a mix of that with relationships and. We'll explain that when that comes. So, today we're going to talk about God. I think my next slide, there's a guy named Nicholas Copernicus. Does that ring a bell. Any smart people out there? All right. I know who I'm talking to. Um, so, he did a lot of research on, I don't know, would it be solar system in the 1500s, 1600s? Basically, he came up with this kind of idea that got coined the term, the Copernicus. Copernican Revolution. And I'm gonna just point this picture just so it makes a little bit of sense. Up until this time, it was thought of, so the blue dot is supposed to be Earth, yellow, sun, red, I'm not sure, okay? That just shows you how deep I went into this, but it's gonna make sense. Um, Up until like the 1500s, it was common thought that everything revolved around the Earth. Like the Earth was the center of the universe, everything revolved around it. So it wasn't until the middle of the 1500s where this guy, Nicholas Copernicus or whatever, something like that, he came up with this model that actually the earth revolves around the sun. And this was paradigm shifting because it changed everything and how they viewed, thought about the solar system and all those different things. And that's exactly what, what, when we think about tonight, what we're trying to do, we're doing a paradigm shift when it comes to God. Um, If you don't know science, and clearly I don't know it super well, but um, if you're more of a movie person, um, has anyone in this room seen The Prestige? Okay, so lots of movies that are good have like a plot twist, right? And that movie has it. Like, you get to the end and something happens, I'm not going to ruin it for you because there's enough people out there that haven't seen it. Movies sometimes have a plot twist, right? And that's kind of what I'm going to do a little bit tonight. There's going to be a little bit of a plot twist with where we're going and how to view and think about God. Um, So let me pray and then we'll jump in. God, I'm thankful for a time where we can come together, that we can have fun, that we can laugh, that there's a group day to ask, that we can um, just enjoy one another. God, I pray that you would work in this time as we look to you, um, specifically as we try to understand who you are, God. So would you be with us? Would you go before us? And would you help us? We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I want to start with a quote. I don't know that any of you guys have seen this quote before. Um, yeah, you guys have already seen it twice. It, it's actually super funny. I, I saw Britney's outline, saw Susan, I actually didn't know Dayton was going to use it, but it per- works perfectly because it's not, it's familiar for you guys. So what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You guys have now heard that a couple times, so this isn't brand new. But um, Brittany yesterday, when we were in the reflection meeting, she described God kind of as an angry old man, right? Um, And I want you guys to just think for a second, like, what comes to mind when you think of God? Like, what's the thought, the picture, when you first think of God? And it doesn't have to be negative, by the way. It doesn't have to be um, Brittany's example. It could be a positive thing. And um, But what would you say? Maybe, maybe as you think about it, I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Maybe think of like a, a positive, like I know the right answer of God. And maybe think of like, hey, when I'm like not believing truth or um, kind of shaky, this is actually how I view mean God is over here. Does that make sense? So maybe think of both. Maybe think of like a positive way to view God and a negative way to view God, and then we're gonna start. So just take a couple minutes right now. So hopefully you guys kind of did like a positive view, negative view, and what I wanna do at the beginning is just spend a few minutes um, sharing a couple of views. If I was honest at points, this is how I would view God, and these are all gonna be kind of negative. So again, from the front, like there are times when I don't, I don't always view God in these ways, um, but. When I think about this A.W. Tozer quote, these are common ways where I'm prone to see God. And I'm actually going to steal Britney's for the first one. I have a good picture for you guys. The old man from Up, right? Um, So God is not an angry old man. Um, And also, all the other pictures I'm going to show you guys are from Disney. Just another thing you should know at this point is Eden is obsessed with Disney movies. So if you get a chance, ask her about it. Her current favorite on repeat right now is Lion King. If she's in a really good mood, she'll sing you Hakuna Tata. And it's incredible. So, not making any promises, but this is where we're living right now. Um, But God is not an angry old man. That he's, um, you know, Brittany described him like at the end of his lawn, like, get off my lawn, sitting in a lawn chair. Kind of like this guy right here. um, Constantly disappointed with you. Um that he just has this look like there's nothing you can do that's actually going to impress him that's actually going to get you get him to crack a smile um and i think when we view god this way um we're trying really hard to measure up we're trying really hard to gain god's approval and at some point when we view god this way we just think i'm gonna i'm gonna screw it up i'm gonna mess it up and it's not worth it is how we're gonna think about it like we're gonna give up Because nothing's never enough. We're always on shaky ground when it comes to God, if we view him as just an angry old man. So the second is, I have another picture here, is a genie. So this is obviously Aladdin, another good one. Um, But if we think about God as a genie, we think that we can just get things from God when we want right? So this is kind of the whole thing with the genie. Three wishes, a few exceptions. But when we want the genie to come, we get what we want. And this can kind of manifest itself as, like, we kind of play this game with God. It's like, hey, if you help me just pass this class, like, I promise you I will never do blank, right? God, if you just give me a shot with this person, I promise. Like, if this date goes well, like, I promise. And we kind of do this deal thing, right? Right? Um, and it might not look like, um, we might not play it out that, that kind of honestly conversation, but if we're honest, we all kind of do some of this dialogue and the reality when we think about God as a genie, we want God on our own terms. We want God when it's convenient for us and we want God to give us the things we want, which if you just kind of think about that, um, we're not thinking about God as God. Actually, we're trying to be God, right? We just want him to like give us these extra things, but we're kind of the center running everything in our life when we think of God as a genie. Um, and number three, God is not your dentist. This this might be a weird one, right? Like, dentist? Where are you going with this? Um, just stay with me. I promise it'll make sense. Um, but when you think about the dentist, you're supposed to go to the dentist yearly, probably a couple times a year for some checkups. Um, and you know, you should go and yet you dread it. You know, you should be there. You know, you should go to them. And at the same time, it's not super fun. Like, I don't know a lot of people that are super excited to go to the dentist. In fact, now most people, they get like the laughing gas and can get knocked out when you go to the dentist, which is actually crazy. That's the dentist I need to start going to. Um, but I think when I think about my experience at the dentist, also my mom worked at a dental office, so there's like, I think some backstory here that plays into this whole scenario, but I just dreaded it. She like scheduled like twice as many appointments that I needed in a year and always making me, yeah, it was just never fun. Um, but I think when I go to the dentist, I'm really nervous for what the dentist is gonna find. Like I'm insecure, like he's gonna be digging in my mouth prying with his little tool, it's going to hurt, he's going to be grinding away, trying to polish and clean my teeth, and I'm afraid of what he's going to find. So usually what ends up happening is before I go to the dentist, instead of brushing twice a day, I brush about six times a day. Like I'm just pounding through the toothpaste, mouthwash, and you know, instead of like flossing occasionally, I'm flossing daily, if not twice a day, because I want my teeth as good as they can look, going to the dentist, which again it's kind of a it doesn't make a ton of sense to do that. It's like they have like the little magnifying little thing he sticks in there and all the tools. Like he's gonna find the bad things that are in my mouth. And yet I still feel like I need a quick like make it all good in my mouth. And and I think you guys get the same idea with God. When you think about God like a dentist dentist, you think like you have to clean yourself up before you go to him. You're afraid of what God might find if he were to dig in your life. We kind of find ourselves like Adam and Eve in the garden, trying to play hide and seek from God, which doesn't work. Um, And so that's the dentist. Or maybe finally you think of God as a buzzkill or a party pooper. (laughs) This one was tougher to find a good picture for. um, But in Cinderella, she's just not a nice lady. Cinderella wants to go to the ball and she says no. And that was the best I could do. I was going to put a stop sign, but it didn't work with the Disney theme. just run with it, okay? Um, so in this view of God, we view God as just all about rules. Um, God is really a God of no. God is really trying to steal my joy, steal fun from me, and he's really against everything. Um, and in this view of God, we can find ourselves like going along with it because we think, like we know something in our mind, like, yes, this is probably true, but our experience is far different from what our head says. So we'll read something in the Bible, and we're like, yeah, we shouldn't do that, but this is actually what I want to do. And in this view, I think we can find ourselves growing bitter towards God. We can find ourselves being a little bit resentful, like, yeah, He says this, but at some point, it's not going to lead to a close relationship with God. It's probably going to lead to a terrible relationship, because you think... Rather than God trying to give you something, he's taking from you. Um, so these are just a few few different ways that we can view God, and I've been prone to view God in my life, um, kind of, again, more in the negative light. So there's a different quote I want to read to you guys. So this is from um, C.S., C.S. Lewis, and he says this, actually commenting on A.W. Tozer, says this, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing of how we th- or that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God Himself it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it relates to how he thinks of us. So we're like, wait a second. C.S. Lewis is saying something very different than A. W. Tozer. In fact, he's disagreeing with them. Um, and I would just say this, that both both these ideas are actually true. It's very important in how we view God. And it's also very important in how God views us. And actually what I want to argue is that it's both of them influence each other. So what I want to do for the next little bit of this time together is I actually want to focus on what C.S. Lewis says, that um, what God says um, about us changes kind of how we view him. In fact, it's actually of more importance how God views us than how we view him, right? Does that make sense? And at the same time, both of them are very important. And, and that will make sense at the very end. I have a couple of clips, video clips that I hope are kind of land the plane. So with that said, grab your Bible, We're going to spend a little bit of time in Luke 15. So as you guys are turning to Luke 15, um, I'm going to orient you a little bit because we're not going to spend... If we had more time, we'd unpack the entire chapter, but it's a long chapter, but it's a good one. So if you have time, I would really encourage you guys to camp out um, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, So in this chapter, basically Jesus, he starts off in verse 1, and he's kind of giving us the context. In verses 1 and 2, he tells us that he's he's with the Pharisees and tax collectors and sinners. So he's with two very distinct groups of people. And then we get two parables about um, lost sheep, lost coin. And then the third parable is the story of what was really common that we probably all heard before, the prodigal son. And what I want to do in this story is... I'm going to summarize kind of the beginning of the Prodigal Sound I know it's a familiar story. Many of us have maybe <clears throat> heard it before. But what I want to focus our attention to is think about um, in this story, Jesus is painting a picture of who God is. He's painting a picture of the Father. And what I want you to do is think about how does the Father react How does the father react? And actually, in this story, I think it would be better called prodigal sons because there's actually two sons. There's an older and a younger son. And we're going to actually see how he interacts with both of them. So so basically, in this story, to summarize the first maybe 16 verses leading up to this, again, there's a parable of a lost sheep. So a guy has 100 sheep, one runs away, and there are 99 here. What do you do with that one? So in Luke 15, he's getting at this idea of what does it mean to be lost? And then there's a story of a lost coin. Like if someone loses a coin, it's of great value. You're going to dig through all your stuff to try to find it. And then he gets to people and he uses a story of a younger son and an older son. And the younger son basically tells his father, I want you dead. He says, I want my inheritance and I want it now. Which means you don't get your inheritance until your parents have passed away. That's usually how inheritance works. And in the Bible, it's when your father died. But this son is saying, I want my inheritance now. And he takes his inheritance and he squanders it. He spends it on reckless living, as I think the term it uses. Not quite sure what that means. Um, but he blows his inheritance. And finally, he's basically eating what pigs eat and begging. And he comes to his senses, and this is where we pick up the story in verse 17. Um, So this is going to start with the younger son. And again, I just want you to think, how does the father relate to this son? And what does the father do specifically? So we're going to pick it up in verse 17. We'll read 17 through 24. Take a little break. I'm going to say a few things, and then we'll read 25 through 32. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned before heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And when he arose he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, "Father, I've sinned before heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." But the father said to his servants, "Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put on a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and to kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate." So, when you think about the father's response in this story, There's nothing about the father that should do what he does, right? Like, if you just think about inserting yourself into the story and thinking about yourself being the father and your kid saying, I want you dead, and then thinking about your response to them, like, this doesn't really make sense. But he goes out of his way to run to his son, which running wasn't like what some of you like to do, the swingies of the world go running and put in the mileage that's like their clothes didn't make for it their sandals weren't fit for it so this is an uncommon sight to see a father running and he's running to meet his son and not only to meet his son but he embraces his son and then he says he doesn't stop there he says bring the best robe the best sandals the best ring kill the fattened calf we're going to celebrate because my son is back that's the father's response towards the younger son it's incredible and it says that he felt compassion. This word compassion in Luke isn't used a ton, but it's more than like how we think about it in the English. Um, there's like actually something going on inside that, um, that like creates this feeling. This, um, it's more than just like have compassion on people the way we use compassion. It's, it's like a guttural response, like um, deep within. And this is how God is feeling towards his son. Or, or the father for the son. Um, now let's look at the older son. So the younger son, um, he is met by the father running to him, giving him the best things, killing the fattened calf, and this is what happens. So now we have the older son. Starting in verse 25, we'll read to the end of the chapter. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what, if, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your commandment, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So, even with the older son, like I just want you guys to see, like he's essentially out in the field pouting. And he's pouting because his father is now giving the younger son something that he feels like should be his. And in some ways, I think we can relate to the the older son here. Like, why does this guy who blew everything get everything? Like, that doesn't make sense. And then if you read verse 28, it says his father came and entreated him. This isn't a word we use a lot, right? Like, I'm going to entreat you. What does that even mean? But essentially, if if you look at what that word actually means, it's plead or beg. Like, the father comes out and is begging with the older son. Like, come on inside. Like. And then the father's response in verse thirty one. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Like nothing's changed. Like everything that is mine is left for you. Like anything I have left is your inheritance. You've always been with me. Come. He's pleading with him. Um and so as we think about the idea of what C. S. Lewis says of What God thinks of us is actually about most importance. What I want you guys to think about, especially in Luke 15, there's a lot of different passages in the Bible we could go to, but God is so moved, his compassion and love towards us, that he pursues us. Like, it actually compels our hearts to move towards him. Like, um, Romans 5, it says, God demonstrates his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um... So this great love comes and moves towards us, and we can't help but move towards it. And that's who God is as we think about it. Um, so what I want to do here to end is I want to combine these ideas. So hopefully you'll see that I don't think A.W. Tozer is wrong, and I don't think necessarily C.S. Lewis is right. I think they actually work together. Like, it is important what we think about God, and it is important what God thinks about us. So I have two clips that hopefully are going to tie this together. Um both of them are interactions between a kid and their parents. Um, the first one is from a movie called Blood Diamond. Anyone seen Blood Diamond? It's getting older now, so I'm like, I thought it might be good to run it back, because no one, you guys haven't seen it. But, I don't know that I have to do a ton to set up the context here, because you're going to see a son very hostile to his dad, and watch how this interaction plays out. Specifically, what happens that, um, just watch it, it will thaw. Um So, in that clip, it, again, it's a really powerful movie, and that's a sweet scene in the movie. But um, So the little boy, his son, has a gun pointed at him. And if you just think, like, what causes his son to drop the gun and hug his father? It was his father speaking over him, right? He's saying, like, you're my son. He's saying these intimate things between him and his family. Your mother loves you. The cows are waiting for you. Like, all these incredibly meaningful things to him. And it completely disarms them so much so that they embrace it then, right. And and again, this is the idea of the C.S. Lewis idea that there's something about God's love towards us that draws us in. Like what God says about us, how God pursues us, is incredibly powerful. That it turns our hearts towards Him. And that's that's the C.S. Lewis idea that he's getting at. That if God is actually at the center of the universe and we're not the center of the universe, we have to know what is true and right about God. And not only that, but what does God say about us as sinful people, which we're going to talk more about next week. Um, And that's kind of the C.S. Lewis idea. But let's get back to A.W. Tozer, and I'm going to run a clip from Inside Out. So I bet more people have seen Inside Out. Okay, so this is Riley. She's just come home from running away, interacting with both her parents. Roll the clip. So this is, like, again, another really moving scene at the end of Inside Out. Um, But what I want you to think about in this scene is there's no way Riley comes home if she doesn't know her parents love her, right? Like, she's standing at the doorstep saying and being really vulnerable before her parents. Let's just say, run with the theme of father, if you're just her dad. Before her father saying, like, I miss Minnesota. like I miss my friends. Again, how does the father meet her? He's like, I too. Like, I'm with you. I'm here for you. And she runs into her daddy's arms. And so what I want you to see is both these ideas work together. So um, when we understand what God says about us, it compels our heart towards him. And how we think about God, it will change how we interact with God. Like, we aren't going to go and be vulnerable before God if we don't understand he loves us. Like, we're not going to move towards Him. And Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious for anything, but with prayer and supplication present your request to the Lord. Like, we're not going to go to the Lord with what we're struggling with if we don't understand who He is and understand that He cares about us. And that's where both these ideas kind of come together and it's the mind-blowing, right? Capernaum revolution. Like, this is the twist. Like, it's important for us to know what God thinks about us, but also important for how we view God because how we view God says something about the state of our hearts. It says something about where we're at. And the crazy thing in all this too is that God doesn't change. So God's love for us doesn't change. Like our hearts might change in and out of the day. Like you guys might have had a positive view of God, a negative view of God, and we can ping pong back and forth in between that every single day. Like our hearts are fickle. God's doesn't change. His love for us is the same. Um, And so as we see these ideas coming together, that's what draws us to God and makes us want to come to Him. And that's where both these ideas together are incredibly powerful as we think about God. Um, So God is not an angry old man. He's not a genie. He's not a dentist. He's not a buzzkill. He's gracious. He's loving. He's a caring Father with arms open wide for us. And that is the love of our Father. And In the coming weeks, we're going to understand the greatest representation of this love. But this is just big picture. Who is God and what does that look like? So let me pray. And then I have a few discussion questions for you guys. God, it's incredible to think about that that is our Father. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That even as we look at Luke 15 and we see that you would run out and meet your Son who wanted nothing to do with you. That you would run out to the field and plead and beg with the Son to come in and celebrate. That is the love of our Father towards us. That it's not on what we do, but you give that love towards us. And our hearts are fickle. Our hearts change every single day. We move from thinking of you um, in the ways we describe as a dentist or a genie or um, an angry old man all the time to at points the glimpse of a loving father and so god would we remember what you say is true would we remember how you look to us and would that draw our hearts towards you would it move us towards you that we could gain more of you this summer we pray in jesus name amen so two questions for you guys the first um which one of the wrong view of God do you relate to? So, you guys came up maybe with your own, but are the pictures there too or not? No. Okay, this is maybe the wrong slide, but that's all right. Um, second question, maybe we can just add this then. Um, I just have the smaller pictures of that slide, but that's okay. Maybe when we can reflect, we can get it up there. Um, the second question is How does understanding how God views you change how you view him? So, basically, we're looking at both these ideas the A.W. Tozer view and the C.S. Lewis view. And um, we'll get um, some music up here and then we'll get the right slides so you guys can see the questions and everything. So take a couple minutes and look at this and then we're gonna sing together. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2021 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.